Turn in your copy of Scripture to Mark chapter 10. Today is Compassion Sunday. What that means is we're going to, at the end of this worship gathering, and challenge you to join my family in sponsoring a child. Uh, A child who lives in a place that is impoverished, a child who lives in a place that is um, under threat of child trafficking, uh, a child who is in need, a child who needs help. And at the end of this worship gathering, we're going to challenge you to sponsor that child. For $43 a month, you can sponsor a child. You might say, I can't afford that. Sure, you can. Uh, Edie, my wife, is with the grandchildren. She was with the grandchildren last night. I don't know if you know this. (laughs) But I have a granddaughter. Her name is Nora. I have another granddaughter. Her name is Lucy. And grandmommy had the privilege of going over there and spending the weekend with them. And so that left my third daughter and I, Maggie and I, left us at home uh, to fend for ourselves. Now, Maggie is a wonderful cook, and she could have cooked. I'm not a great cook, but I could have cooked. I lived on hot dogs and Doritos for a long time of my life. Not since I've been married, so it's been 30 years or so. But I, I, can, I can whip me up a hot dog. But we decided we would get sushi instead. So we used this great little app, first time I've ever used it, used this little app called Uber Eats. You pick the restaurant, you, you order off of Uber Eats, and they deliver it. And I mean, it was 30 minutes or 45 minutes, before, and, and it was at our door. That was wa- wonderful. It was awesome. I could have sponsored three kids for the amount of, uh, I had to pay for that, but... You know, the truth is, $43 a month, that's a meal out. Even at places like Chick-fil-A, $43 a month is affordable if we prioritize it. And so, I'm going to challenge you. So, go ahead and get ready. That's, that is one aspect of the application of the message today. The message, however, is broader than that, but not less than that. Uh, In Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16, Jesus is teaching, and he's hanging out with his disciples. He's just talked about marriage. He's about to encounter a rich young ruler, and while he is in the middle of ministry, it says in verse 13, they, being parents or grandparents, then they brought little children to Jesus that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. When, they, uh, when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased, and he said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not forbid them. Literally, in the Greek, it means stop it. Stop forbidding them. For of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Verse 16, and Jesus took the children up in his arms and he laid hands on them and blessed them. In this passage, there are three specific things I want us to understand from God's word for us today. And it teaches us about following Jesus. See, here's Here's the truth. You and I become followers of Jesus when we place our faith in Christ as the payment for our sin's debt. And when we turn from our sin and trust in Jesus, the Bible says if we do that by faith, letting go of everything that we are and giving everything we are to him, then we will be saved. We will receive the gift of life that comes through faith in Christ. My goodness, we just sang about it. You know, what he's done, what he's done. Uh, we, uh, my sins are forgiven. My future is heaven. I praise God for what he's done. And you like that, don't you? I mean, I watched you sing it. You like that. 
what he's done. My goodness, he's rescued me from sin's grip. He's rescued me from hell's penalty. He's rescued me and made me fit for God's family through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And I placed my trust in him and he changed my life forever. What he's done. Oh, what he's done. But it's more than a song we sing. Once you become a follower of Jesus, you live your life following Jesus. And what he's done influences what we do, how we live. And the model that Jesus sets for us in Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16, is that we must bless the children even as Jesus did. Why did Jesus bless the children? Why did he have such a visceral reaction to his disciples? Well, first, children are a priority. Children are a priority. In first century culture, children were to be seen at times and never heard. Children were a nuisance. They were a distraction. They were not something to be cherished, but something to be utilized. And the disciples carried that kind of mindset with them, but the parents didn't. The parents had it right. They had the right heart. They prioritized getting their children to Jesus because they knew that Jesus could help them, could change their life. Parents, have you prioritized getting your children to Jesus? See, I know we prioritize a lot of things as parents. We can prioritize the baseball games. We can prioritize the basketball games, the football games, the dance recitals. We can prioritize the studies at school. We can prioritize all those things. But none of those things, listen to me, none of those things are nearly as important as getting our children to Jesus. Helping our children fall in love with Jesus. Children are a priority because children are a priority in the heart of God. And Jesus wants to welcome the children. But parents, you got to have the right heart. you got to prioritize getting your children to Jesus, modeling for them what it means to be in love with Jesus. Because of such is the kingdom of God. Church, we prioritize children because... Children are a priority in the heart of God. In our worst moments, we can grouse and complain because children seem to be a distraction. They seem to be a nuisance, a disturbance. But let me tell you something. We delight to hear babies crying even in the worship gathering, especially in the worship gathering. We delight in seeing children run around here in the worship gathering. Why? Because of such is the kingdom of God. Children in the heart of God are never a nuisance. They're never a disturbance. They're never a distraction. Doesn't mean we don't parent them. Y'all parent them. But friends, in this church, we delight in the children. I mean, uh, if I've been here 20 years, y'all know me. If you've been with me any part of that time, one thing you know is that children are a priority for me. The disciples wanted the children and their parents to make an appointment to see Jesus. After all, Jesus was busy giving them their sweet lessons where they could get smarter even though they got dumber every time they heard Jesus talk. And so they were like, oh, no, no, no. If you want to see Jesus, you better set an appointment. And Jesus said, children never need an appointment to see me. 
Adults, you might have to get an appointment to see me, but children never do because children are a priority. You might say, well, Eric, it sounds like children are more important than me. Are you an adult? I'm not being ugly. I'm just being, I mean, this is serious business. Church, if we don't prioritize children, we miss the heart of God. So busy trying to make sure we get our lessons that we disregard the very priority that Jesus displays here. Let the little children come to me. Stop being a roadblock and start being a river of blessing. Children are a priority. Second thing, children model an eternal truth. Jesus leveraged this moment with his disciples and their dullness. And and really, probably the point of this passage is how the disciples still didn't get it. That's probably the point of this passage. But they were dull. They They were trying to be the roadblock between Jesus and children. And Jesus said, y'all have lost your ever-loving mind. (laughs) And so Jesus took the opportunity to try to help the disciples understand what it means to follow him. we're, We're getting ready to start a new series called Following Jesus, and and I, I just, man, we're, gonna, we're going to dig down in Mark's gospel and see what it means to follow him. I just want to encourage you. Man, I, I just want to challenge you. Learn the eternal truth that he teaches here. Verse 15. In verse 15, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will by no means enter the kingdom of God. So here, Jesus shows this, par- uh, uh, this, this comparison. He said, if you're going to receive something, you've got to receive it in a particular way if you want to enter into it. Now, you and I are here today, and we want to enter into the kingdom of God. We want to enter into the fullness of life. We want to enter into the blessing that the kingdom provides. We want to enter into uh, the family of God because we know that that's what makes our life complete. It, it, it completes us truly and, com- and, and totally. It, it is that, that, that desire of every human heart, whether we can put a name to it or not, whether you're far from God or close to God, you know that the kingdom of God, as described in Scripture, is the way life should be, the way life needs to be, the eternal life we all desire and we can't get on our own. We want to enter it. So how do we receive it so we can enter it? And Jesus says, you receive it. To enter it, you receive it like a child. Now, what does that mean? Well, two words, humility and absolute faith. Humility. I don't deserve it. My goodness, how excited I am to get it. My, uh, my wife called uh, uh, our granddaughter, Nora, and, and she said, Grandmommy's coming to see you. And Nora said, yay, yay. So Grandmommy said, I'm going to Target before I go. What do you want me to bring you? You know what she asked for? A banana. <laughs> what do you want? I want a banana. Oh, to receive like a child. The gift is the joy. Not the amount of it, not the the shape of it, not the stature of it, just the gift. Bring me a banana. There's not a sense of entitlement. You owe me this. There's not a sense of, I've arrived. You need to make sure your gift is big enough for someone like me. No, it's a sense of humility. Oh, God has given me something I haven't earned. I could never earn in a thousand lifetimes of trying to do better. 
God has given me something that I don't deserve. In fact, I deserve the opposite of gift. What I deserve is punishment in hell. But God has given me life. He's given me himself. He's given me joy in him. He's given me peace in him. Oh, my goodness. What a giver. And what a gift. We receive the gift as a child with humility and with absolute faith. If I were to tell my granddaughter, not that this is good parenting or even good grandparenting, if I were to tell my granddaughter, granddaughter, if you, um, I don't know, if, if you drink out of the commode, your fingernails will fall off. Well, that's not a true statement. It's not. That's, that's not a true statement. But you know what my granddaughter would believe? That her fingernails would fall off. Because there's a an, there's an naive kind of trust that she places on the word of her mommy and her daddy and her grandmommy and her poppy and her Aunt Kitty and Aunt Charge and Aunt Mau Mau. There's a, there's a naive kind of trust. To receive the kingdom of God is an absolute trust, an unblinking faith. It says, God says it. That's good enough for me. Children model this eternal truth. He said, if you want to enter it, you've got to receive it the way a child receives a gift. The way a child receives a gift, like a beggar with open hands. Joyful and expectant for whatever is placed within them. Today, we need to understand that children model this eternal truth of following Him. So, what does it mean? Well, it means we who have received this eternal gift of hope and life and forgiveness, my sins are forgiven, my future is heaven. I thank God for what He's done, it means I'm going to live in a certain way. What he's done influences what I do, and what I do from this passage is if I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to bless children. That's the third thing. I, I'm going to follow Jesus. That means I'm going to bless children. So there, you, have, you have characters in this brief passage. You have the parents, you have the children, you have the disciples, and you have Jesus. The parents got it right. The children got it right. Jesus got it right. Who got it wrong? Who got it wrong? The disciples. Whatever it was that they were motivated by, whatever it was that was leading them to live a certain way, it was not following Jesus. Following Jesus means that we bless children. I just want you to look at verse 16. Verse 16, it says, and Jesus took them up in his arms and he laid hands on them and he blessed them. Jesus blessed with extravagance. In verse 13, the parents came and said, will you just put your hand on our children to bless them? That, that, that picture of laying on of hands is just kind of a, uh, something we do uh, on occasion when we pray over people. It's just a, a physical touch to symbolize the, uh, the powerful touch of God's grace. Well, the parents were saying, will you just lay hands on our children and, and bless them? Verse 16, he doesn't just touch them. He brings them up into his arms and he holds them close. Extravagant blessing. On top of that, when it says in verse 16, and he blessed them. Now, again, I'm going to use some Greek, so just bear with me. The Greek language uh, for blessing in, in Greek, the verb is uolegain. Uolegain. Uh, okay? From what we get eulogy from that. Okay? Uologia. Uologain. All right? Now, that, if you go anywhere else in the New Testament and it talks about blessing, that's the word. But not here. The term for bless here is, it's the only time it's used in the New Testament. It's not uolegain, it is 
katelegai, which kata is a preposition. It means to stack it on top of each other. It wasn't just a regular blessing. What Jesus did is he blessed, and then he blessed, and then he blessed, and then he blessed some more. It is blessing ramped up on steroids for eternity. Jesus decided he wasn't just going to bless. He was going to bless on top of bless on top of bless on top of bless. What extravagance. And he reserved it for the children. Jesus modeling something for us to follow here. He's calling us to follow him. And if we're going to follow him, that means we're going to commit ourselves in an extravagant way to bless the children. I'm so thankful for a church that commits to blessing others. The, those who society might say are, are marginalized. Those who society might say are, are, are unimportant. Yesterday we had our uh, monthly uh, time ministry of, of feeding those who are food insecure and and uh, had 105 families that we fed. 24 new families came. Five people came to faith in Jesus Christ. 30 Bibles were, 33 Bibles were handed out. That is a church that you are. I'm thankful for a preschool ministry and a, ch- a kid's ministry that commits resources and, and space and time and energy to bless the children. I'm thankful for the partnerships that we have with other um, uh, groups like the Crisis Pregnancy Center. For over a decade, Eddie and Edie, my wife, Edie, not Eddie, Edie and I, for over a decade have supported every month the Crisis Pregnancy Center because we believe in the ministry of that organization to stand in the gap for those who have no voice. Today, I'm going to challenge you to commit in the same way, with the same passion, the same energy, commit to support a child, to sponsor a child through compassion. Now, here's what compassion does. Compassion will support children through a local Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church in that area. Without, without a church, there will not be sponsorship for a child. It is Christ-centered, it is church-based ministry. But through the church, when, when Edie and I, we're sponsoring a, a young man named Ezra. I've already filled out the paperwork, put my credit card information on there, and and, and now, from now until the day Ezra reaches young adulthood, Edie and I will be supporting him. We'll be sending letters to him. We will be praying for him. We'll be encouraging him. And so, when Edie and I start sponsoring Ezra, we know that our sponsorship helps alleviate poverty. It helps alleviate hunger. Uh, helps alleviate uh, medical and physical needs as well as, and most importantly, providing for the spiritual needs that Ezra might have. We're trying to follow Jesus and bless the children. My question is, will you do the same? In order to help you make that decision, we've asked an alumni of compassion to come and share with us. Owen Katanga. How did I do? Did I do better this time? Y'all, welcome Owen to, uh, uh, to First Norfolk. Get a little hoop in your holler. Thank you, brother. Owen, um, and uh, Owen has kind of, Owen could take it from here, but uh, the way they want me to do this, I'm going to ask him a question that he knows what I'm going to ask. And he's going to answer the way he wants to answer. But the goal is for you to understand and get a glimpse of how compassion works and how it fits what Jesus is calling us to do, which is to follow him 
and bless the children. So, Owen, uh, tell us a little bit about your life, about where you're from, about what your life was like uh, growing up as a child. Yeah. Praise the Lord, church. Amen. So, my name is Owen Gitanga. Your, your pastor was, he did great. Did I do, great. I he did, did all right? Okay. He did great. Okay. I did second better time. the second time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I was born and raised in Nairobi, Kenya. And uh, ever since I was a little boy, I had a dream, uh, very passionate about this dream. It was not a uh, very familiar dream for a lot of kids because I never wanted to become a doctor or a lawyer or a pilot or a superhero or a policeman. But for some amazing reason, I always wanted to become an accountant. <laughs> I know. But I found out soon enough that that would never happen. It would never happen because of a family that I was born in. And, uh, you know, I was the last born of three boys, and my mom was our sole breadwinner. You know, she would only make about 5 to $10 a month. 5 to $10 a month to be able to support three kids, that was impossible. I grew up in what you would call abject poverty. You know, grew up in a house with no electricity, no taps, no faucets. Food was a huge problem for us. You know, because my mom would not be able to afford to put at least a meal a day. Sometimes we had to go without food for, you know, a couple of days. And if you've ever gone for more than a day without food, you become desperate. You would do absolutely anything just to get food in your stomach. And I had to go knocking on people's doors begging for food. And that wasn't a very good experience because, you know, these people are just tired of seeing my face over and over again. So when I knocked on their door one more time, and they opened and saw my face. A lot of times they shut the door on my face and sent me away. And the few times they let me in, they humiliated me. Because they knew I needed the food and it didn't matter what they said to me. I was going to stay because I needed the food to be able to survive. We didn't have taps or faucets that we would get clean water out of. You know, the only source of water that we had was in this river that had its source in a slaughterhouse. You can imagine all that waste going into the river. So by the time it flowed by where we lived, the color of this water was brownish or greenish. This is the water that we had to take and boil so that we can get drinking water out of. See, brown water doesn't taste good. It doesn't matter how many times you boil it. But that's what we had to work with, you know? And one of the hardest things about growing up in poverty, just because, A, we were drinking dirty water, Sometimes I had to go dig through trash to be able to get food. I was sick a lot. I was a very sickly uh, little boy. And my mom wouldn't afford to take me to the hospital. And so every time I got sick, my mom would tell me, go to bed, and hopefully when you wake up in the morning, you're going to be fine, because she didn't have the money to take us to hospital. If you showed up in a hospital and you did not have money or insurance, they would not take you in regardless of the condition that you were in. So I learned from a little boy, when I was a little boy, that when you get sick, just hope that what you have doesn't kill you. And so mom shared with me this story that when I was about one year old, there was a huge measles outbreak that ended up taking the lives of so many babies. And my mom, because she couldn't take me to a hospital, she told me that night she held me. And I just... To me, as a parent, I cannot imagine this, holding your child, not being able to take them to a hospital, hoping that they will stay alive. She told me as the night passed on, I grew weaker and weaker and weaker. And when she looked at me, she didn't think I would make it through the end of the night. But by the grace of God, I survived, just like so many other times in my life. And I mean, poverty is bad. I would never wish poverty on anybody. But to me, the absolute worst thing about poverty is the hopelessness that comes from poverty. See, poverty beats you to a point where giving up is way easier than fighting. You know, grow up with people looking at me straight in the eyes and telling me that I am worth less. I will never amount to anything. I mean, these were, this, this were hard words to hear, but it just became like a broken record. And when they ask me this question that we love to ask kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I told them with a smile in my face that I want to become an accountant. But it's what they told me that wiped the smile out of my face and really crushed the little hopes that I still had. 
because they told me don't waste your time dreaming because none of your dreams will ever come true. That was the reality for me in poverty. This is how I thought my life was going to be. I was, going, I was born poor, I was going to live poor, and I was going to die poor, and nobody would ever get to hear my story. How, how did God use that circumstance, and how did God invade that circumstance and use compassion to change your life? Yeah. And Come on, get to the good. Come on. Yeah. Here we go. I was eight years old when my mom had about this church. You're an accountant, but you want to preach. I can tell <laughs> you want to preach. I do, I do. Uh, so I was eight years old, and, you know, this church sent out an announcement in my community that we're registering kids to help them. So if you, if you have a child, if you're in need, please bring your child and we'll evaluate. And so my mom took me to this church, Redeemed Gospel Church. And, you know, my mom held my hand as we walked through the gates of this church. We had, me and my mom had no idea that walking through the doors of this church would change our lives forever. Compassion only works through the local church, so there has to be a local church for there to be a compassion center. So we went in there, they did, you know, they asked us questions, they did home visits, and, you know, because compassion has to verify that these kids actually do really need the help. And, and so I got registered. And one of the first things they did is they print, you know, they took a picture of me. Funny story about that. That was one of the first times I had ever taken a picture, and one of our friends played a prank on us that the camera flash is really painful. <laughs> that was back in the day when digital cameras were not existent yet, and they would attach this huge camera flash to the camera. So my first picture, I was probably terrified <laughs> because I was waiting for this pain that never seemed to arrive, and we laughed about it later on. But they printed out a packet just like Baraka today, sent it out to a church, and on a Compassion Sunday, just like today, my packet lay on the table, and a guy passed by, saw my picture on a packet, looked at my name, and said, I'm going to sponsor this kid. That's how I got sponsored. And as a result of that, I started receiving letters from my sponsors, which was one of the highlights of being sponsored is you get to receive letters from your sponsor. And so as a sponsor, you get to write your child. You get to encourage them. And it kind of felt like those letters came at the right time. At the time when I needed them the most was when I received a letter and my sponsor was saying, you know, I'm praying for you. You know, you'll, you'll make it through this. God loves you, and nothing is impossible with God. You know, the first time I had ever heard the words, I love you, was in a letter that I got from my sponsor. I just blew my mind. I mean, what are the odds that a guy in Wisconsin would reach out to this little boy in Nairobi, Kenya, and tell him, I love you, for the first time in his life? I mean, it was, that, was, that was what it was all about at the church because we were loved on in ways we had never been loved on before. My first hug, I got it at the church because, you know, the compassion teachers there, they were loving and encouraging. One of the stories that I don't often share was one of the first things that compassion gave to me was this book that was written, My Plan for Tomorrow. Now, you have to know this about poverty. You don't think about tomorrow because you do not know whether you're going to live to see the end of the day. But the first thing they gave me was this big book that said, my plan for tomorrow. And one of the first questions was, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, and I remember the teachers telling us to write it down, and I kept writing accountant, and I kept erasing it. I was really struggling because it had been drained in my mind, you will never become an accountant. And one of the teachers saw me struggling and came and told me, write it down and we'll pray about it. That was the first time in my life I had ever felt comfortable to write accountant. And it became easier to write it down, but it was at this church that I was introduced to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. It's the good news that I heard, you know, from these people. Because we, you know, at the heart of what compassion does is Jesus. 
I love compassion because I learned so much of the word while I went to the church. And, and it was here that I met, you know, these people loved on us. And so it made it easier, you know, to want to have what they were talking about. I wanted to have their Jesus because of the way they loved on me. And, and I remember going to church one day and I said, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to that church and I'm going to accept their Jesus because I want to see for myself if what they say about this Jesus is really true. And so I went to the church and I said, I've come to accept your Jesus. Hmm. And they led me in a prayer and I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. Amen. And that was the best gift that compassion ever gave to me, the gift of Jesus Christ. That was the best decision I ever made as a kid. And this is it. Poverty left my life the day Christ came into my life. Come on. If compassion had just given me Jesus and told me to go my way, I would have been just fine. Because when I accepted Christ and I began to dig into the word, is the more I knew the truth and the more the truth started to set me free. Mm. See, all of a sudden, I began to know the truth, that what I was being told growing up as a child, it was all lies. It wasn't about what I had. It was all about whose I was. Amen. Amen. Come on. When I got Jesus, I got a hope that was way more stronger than the poverty that I faced. See, the biggest misconception that people have about poverty is they think if we pour enough money, we'll get rid of poverty, but that's a lie. Mm. No amount of money can get rid of poverty. poverty. Money is good. It will change the outside. But poverty is a lot more spiritual and mental than it is physical. Money can never get rid of poverty, but Jesus can. Amen. Amen. And compassion didn't stop there. They gave me food, clean water. That was a miracle. Took me to hospital every time I got sick. Took me to school. I was the first person in my whole family to go on and graduate high school. And, and then I went on to college, and I did my bachelor's degree in, guess what? <laughs> Accounting. And, And then I got a scholarship to go to North Dakota State, of all the states in America. <laughs> I got my master's degree and sat for my CPA license. I'm an accountant! <laughs> <laughs> the one thing they told me not to waste my time dreaming is my reality today. Because 20 some years ago, this guy passed by the table and gave me a chance, picked me. And today I stand before you representing what compassion does. I have been released from poverty in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. As, as our church sits here and those online, uh, as they consider sponsoring a child, again, um, I'm not trying to put a carrot out there. I just want you to know to follow Jesus means that we're going to bless the children. This is one opportunity for us to bless the children. Why would they, tell us what, what would you say to them about sponsoring a child and why and, and that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. I think for me, it's the relationship that you get to create with these kids. Me and my sponsor, we had an awesome relationship. He wasn't very much older than I was. And so I would call him big bro. He would call me small bro and came to find out that one of the reasons why he sponsored me was because we shared the same name. And so my sponsor's name was Owen. So when he came to the table and saw an Owen, he sponsored me. And, you know, 12 years ago, uh, on, you know, on our biggest day, when me and my wife got married, I had this guy who had been such an instrumental piece of, you know, part of my, my life, my sponsor. Owen was the best man in our wedding. And... Uh, and his son, Simon, is a ring bearer. And that's compassion. Yeah. 27 years ago, a lot of you would have been uncomfortable with me standing in front of you. Because I was poor, and I looked and smelled like it. I think that's why it was easy for people to look at me and tell me, you are worthless. Mm. 
27 years later, look what the Lord can do. Because someone passed by the table and picked me. And me and my wife, we sponsor three kids through Compassion. And uh, because I believe in the ministry of Compassion, you can actually go get to go visit your kids. That's Joseph uh, in Kenya. The next picture there is. So I thought, Owen sponsored Owen. Why doesn't Owen sponsor Owen? And so that's Owen from Nicaragua. And I can't wait to see what God will do in his life. And that little boy there is Junior. And Junior goes to Redeemed Gospel Church. This, this is a church that I went to and my life was changed. We haven't been able to go visit him yet, but I can't wait to go take my you know, three boys and girl to, to Kenya to go see him. And uh, yeah, that's my family, my wife Crystal and our three boys. We have a seven-month-old daughter that Woo! hasn't yet. Finally, we have a girl. And uh, so that's, you know, I look, I look at that and I, it's crazy to think, look at my life, where I started and where I am, to see the goodness and the faithfulness of God. But it's so amazing what compassion does. One of the things I love about compassion is that they're very passionate about Jesus. I mean, I, it changed my life knowing the Lord. Because compassion came into my life, because Owen decided to reach out to me, I was able to break the generational curse of poverty from my family. See, poverty stops with me because my kids will never know poverty. And because I got sponsored, I was able to go back home and take my whole family from poverty. It's the repo effect that comes from sponsoring one child. But you know the most amazing thing? Because I got Jesus, I was able to take Jesus back home to my family. And my whole family came to know the Lord. But because I got Jesus, I can never stand and tell my story without talking about him. That's the story of compassion. When you sponsor one child, you give the opportunity for these kids. Baraka means blessing. You give the opportunity for Baraka to reach out not only to his family, but to everybody that's going to come across him with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what happens when you sponsor a child through compassion. Amen. Amen. Uh, last thing I think is important. Where do, you, where do you work now? Yeah. God kind of brought my whole story full circle. And as of about three years ago, I started working for Compassion as an accountant. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I'm, the, I'm the U.S. Uh, manager of accounting for Compassion. And I was a little bit, I was a little bit hesitant when I got, you know, when I applied for the job and I got the offer. Because I knew, I know Compassion. I've seen compassion, you know, as, as a child. I know it's changed my life. We sponsor kids through compassion, which, by the way, if you're a parent, sponsoring kids through compassion gives an awesome opportunity to be able to start to talk to your kids about Jesus, start to pray for your kids and partner them together, teach them awesome, you know, awesome lessons about being a blessing to other people's lives. But I was... You know, sometimes you have all these organizations that look so good on the outside until you look on the inside. So I was really hoping that the compassion that I knew growing up and the compassion that we love to support, that their books look as good as they, as they do on the outside. And I'm, 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 I'm proud to stand in front of you and tell you I love compassion even more because of their financial integrity. They do what they say they do. And you can quote me as a CPA. And so it's, it's, it's been amazing. And I, I just, I love it for the kingdom of God. See, I represent one child. Yeah. Right now, Compassion sponsors about 2.3 million kids. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine the impact for the kingdom of God? Because Compassion is passionate about Jesus. Yeah. 
It's taking Jesus to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the world. Amen. Y'all, let's thank Owen. I'm going to ask our team to come on out, and uh, we're going to uh, have a song uh, where we set our focus upon the Lord. It's Compassion Hymn. Um, uh, As they're coming, I want to leave you with this thought. Uh, First of all, the very first person at First Norfolk to sponsor a child was a six-year-old named Lucy. She was the very first person. You know, you can hear her up there some Sundays tell me that they, she knows all about Nora and she'll talk to me. Uh, but she was the first person to sponsor a child at First Baptist Church of Norfolk. Isn't that great? Six-year-old. Um, she didn't miss the moment. In 1994, there was a man named Kevin Carter who was a photographer. He lived in South Africa. Uh, He was known as an adventurer who would go to dangerous places. This was during the height of apartheid and uh, the changing of the guard with apartheid and all the vacuum of leadership that that took place. Uh, He went to a place called Sudan. We have a mission team that's on their way to South Sudan right now. The reason there's a South Sudan is because there was decades-long civil war in Sudan. And during that decades-long civil war in 1994, Uh, It resulted in extreme poverty, and the ones that were hit the hardest were children. So Kevin Carter goes to Sudan, and he's taking pictures, and he tells the story. He's walking through uh, this one particular region, and he hears the whimpering. And he goes over, and he sees this little child, child that you would see on uh, images of Feed the Children, ribcage bears, just, uh, just a dark, horrific picture of poverty and hunger, malnourished to the extreme. And Kevin, who's a photojournalist, decided he's going to take a picture. And so he begins to set up the shot. The little child is trying to get to the feeding station that the United Nations have established, looking, trying, crawling to the feeding station, but didn't have the energy, just paralyzed with hunger. As Kevin began to take the picture, you see this little child and and it's curled up and its head resting against the dirt. Knowing the story, you know that child is trying to Find enough reserve energy to make another effort to crawl just a little bit further to food and survival. In the back of the frame was a vulture. A vulture had landed behind this child just feet away. The child curled up in the dirt, longing for just enough strength to make it a little bit further. And here's a vulture landing behind the child, stalking the child as prey. Kevin set up that shot for 20 minutes. And finally, when the light was right and the angle was perfect, he got the shot. He got the shot and he sent that picture away to the New York Times. And the New York Times put the picture in along with an an article about the poverty and the hunger and the privation that's taking place in Sudan in 1994. And amazingly, this picture that's dark and stark and horrifying, this picture of This little child, starving child, being stalked by a vulture, that picture wins the Pulitzer Prize. One week after Kevin Carter received the Pulitzer Prize for that photo, one week afterwards, Kevin Carter committed suicide. 
He had reached the height of his profession. But as Scott McCloud wrote an article in Time Magazine, as Scott McCloud interviewed family and friends and co-workers to try to figure out how does a guy who wins the Pulitzer Prize a week later take his own life? He began to hear a story of a man filled with guilt. See, Kevin watched that little child suffer for 20 minutes and watched a bird of prey come stalk its next meal for 20 minutes. And he waited until the light was right and the angle was perfect and he got the shot, but he missed the moment. He missed the moment where he could help. And he couldn't take the guilt. And so he took his own life. And I want to challenge you here today. Friends, I want to challenge you here today. Don't miss the moment. We know that the enemy is like a vulture standing prey over these precious children. Don't miss the moment. And let's make a difference like the gospel has done for Owen. Let's make a difference. Let's follow Jesus and let's bless children. Let's sponsor them. Ezra, whom Edie and I are sponsoring, from now until young adulthood, Ezra has an advocate for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Will you be an advocate as well? After we sing a song, I'm going to invite you to uh, just kind of meditate on what God is calling you to do. And after we sing, I'm going to invite you at the close to go into the grand lobby and get a packet. Before you leave, as I've done, fill out the information. There's a QR code for those who are digitally inclined. And before you leave, commit yourself to sponsor our children. Don't miss the moment. If you're online, you can text FBC Norfolk to 833-8393. And that will lead you to a prompt page where you can sponsor a child. Don't miss the moment. In Mark chapter 9, verse 36 and 37, Jesus gathered children around him, and again, he wrapped his arms around that child, and he said, whoever receives a little child like this receives me. But not only me, he receives the one who sent me. Today, friends, don't miss the moment. Oh, Father in heaven, challenge us as followers of Jesus to bless the children. And it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen.